This is an Area Code podcast. You're listening to Table of Malcontents, where Aaron Armstrong, Dave Schrader, and Scarlett Hildebeidel talk about the books they love and a few they really don't to help you be a better reader. Welcome to today's episode of Table of Malcontents. I'm Aaron, and with me, as always, are Scarlett and Dave. Guys, how's it going? Well, um, my my mouth infection has cleared up a little. Excellent. <laughs> so I'm not covering my... Actually, it's not an infection. They, they're thinking it's an allergy, which is a way better thing. So on some steroids and not covering my face anymore. So doing well. Well, steroids are fun. Yeah. Are you, are you the type of people to where, like, if you have, like, something minor... You just jump to the conclusion that it's cancer, you know, or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, everyone knows that person, right? Like everyone, everything is ultimately cancer or something like terrible, right? So Dave, you remember that Scarlett wrote a book called Afraid of All the Things, right? I know. Dave, I literally sat in an allergist's office yesterday and we talked for 10 minutes and then I said, okay, so you don't think I'm dying of cancer. And I have said that exact phrase um, probably 10 times in, in this year. So I am that person. Nice. He said no. He said I think I think you're allergic to your um, lip balm. <laughs> that's what he said. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping. Yeah, and that's good. I hope he's speaking beyond his specialty in that too. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, that's that's what people specialize in these days is speaking beyond specialties. And I mean, and who knows that better than me? I, I'm a graphic designer by uh, by training. But you're one heck of a podcaster, so that's all that's all we want right now today. That's all we demand of you. And that's all we yes. need. How are you, Dave? Uh, I'm doing very well. Uh, back in the office here for uh, we've been back for a few weeks. We have less than ten people, and uh, so we got plenty of space in my office. It feels very good. So I uh, I've worked better from here. I mean, I've enjoyed working from home certainly, but I uh, um, I don't know. I've missed you know my people here. So it's been. Um, uh, it's been enjoyable. We've had a, a good time. The weather's awesome here. So, you know, um, despite everything going on, um, I really have no complaints. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it, you know, a, a quick report since the last talk, like still having a tough time reading in the middle of everything going on. There's just other distractions. Uh, some of it is kids finishing up school right now and having that bizarre way to finish up online school for the year. And, and, uh, we will talk with Dr. Kidd in a second about that, but, uh, but it's, man, it's a, it's a weird time. So, um, yeah. Yeah. so yeah, I'm doing well. Um, Good. And Aaron, Aaron, you're well, how are you? Oh, I'm surviving. Um, made our first steps at our office to uh, to go back in. Um, I got to sit in a meeting while um, while your husband was at uh, was at the office was and the only sat man in the building. <laughs> yeah, he was literally the only person yeah. there. He's been it, working at home since then. He's like, yeah. I was the only person there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Our, no. our internet, as you can tell, our internet's not great. So that was the motivation. But well, you do live in the middle of nowhere, so we that do, helps. But we are moving again. We're going to move anyway. Enough about that. <laughs> Our, well, there's a there's just a little tease for us yes. also. <laughs> so we'll get to that next episode. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, but you know, guys, we have a special guest with us, Dave. You've already referenced him once very briefly. Um, but how about you introduce um, who's with us today? 
Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Thomas Kidd, which I asked you uh, from the beginning, uh, you know, if we should call you Tommy, Dr. Kidd, what would you prefer? And you just went straight with Tommy. So we're going to do Tommy, although your resume intimidates me. Um, so I, I'm just going to laugh a few times when I do call you Tommy, if that's okay. But <laughs> Dr. But, Kidd is a pretty cool title. So, so tell do the do the students ever joke about that? I'm I'm going to give you a better introduction here in a second, Tommy. But do they ever do they ever have fun with that? Uh, you mean about the kid part? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been getting that since I was in kindergarten. You know, I, but but uh, <laughs> and they don't know anything about Tommy. Only my grad students know about Tommy. So I insist on Doctor Kid with them. Yeah, I remember my uh, uh, my British history professor when 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 there became that point. We said, "You can call me James." You know, I, I just thought, "Oh, I've made it! I yeah. have made it!" But did you? you know, uh, no, I did. Yeah, and we still are, you know, friends to this day. We interact a ton. I mean, we're in different cities, but uh, but I thought, "Wow, okay, this is I've like crossed this threshold into uh, yeah at least." academic manliness in this sense. I just felt like, I don't know. It's a very <laughs> specific not, kind of I'm, manliness. Yeah, exactly. I'm not a, uh, an academic, but I, uh, but still, there you go. So your grad students get to call you Tommy. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Once they pass their doctoral exams, that's the, that's the rule. Oh, uh, that's not just me. That, there's, that, that, there's some kind of unwritten academic rule that once they pass their doctoral exams, they get to call the professors. Uh, by their first name. So wow, cool. That's right. It's just like how how once you once you pass a certain number of followers on Twitter, your your tweets are automatically taken more seriously. There you go. Well, um, we are grateful that you came on the show today. Um, and yes, for for our listeners out there, just give you a quick introduction so I can give the official so everyone knows. Um, because we've uh, you know Aaron Scarlett and I we've you know interacted at least in following with. Uh, Tommy uh, for the past few years, uh, and even from uh, my time working at B and H, be able to see uh, your American History series come out, which has been very exciting. But uh, uh, but yeah, so if Roman doesn't know, he teaches history at Baylor University. You're associate director of Baylor's Institute for Studies of Religion, correct? Yes. And you're also teaching church history at Midwestern Theological Seminary, Baptist Theological Seminary, right? Right. Yep. Okay. Which is newer in the past year, correct? Right. Okay. Excellent. So, and you're doing that, you're just going back and forth or doing that online right now? Yeah. I mean, I'm a visiting professor at Midwestern. um, And so I might be up there. I mean, of course, who knows what the normal is now, but uh, I'm uh, under normal conditions. Conditions, I might be up there for uh, a week or two every year. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Uh, well, it's. Uh, uh, I saw when you were doing that. That was exciting. I could. Uh, I got to teach church history at our church. Uh, definitely a one-on-one class last year, and it was exciting. I learned a ton. You know how that goes. Um, but I've always wanted to take more expanded classes, so I know who to go to now at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so the other thing, you know, I know you've you've written for World Magazine, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal. Um, you uh, you write for the Evangelical History Blog at the Gospel Coalition, which is actually the thing that, uh, even though I followed you for years, it really hit me when you wrote a post, and we'll talk about it a little bit later um, about finding the right history book, essentially what to look for, what not to look for, what are the pitfalls. But I, I thought that was fascinating. We'll get to that, but. Uh, 
but also you've written on a variety of characters through history, some very familiar to us, some not, but uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin, George Whitfield, Baptists in America, and uh, I think I referenced earlier your American history series with BNH Academic, and then your most recent, who is an evangelical with uh, Yale Press. So, um, I, I, you know, I knew about your recent books. I, I had to look up, I think, last year to see some of the things you had written, but uh, um, but I'm, you know, absolutely fascinated. So tell us just about your love for writing, researching, and kind of how you selected writing some of these books in the past. Give us, uh, just kind of a little bit of your own personal history with that for the listener. Yeah, well, um, I, I, uh, became a believer in, um, my freshman year at Clemson and in, in South Carolina and, um, that of course, I mean that was life changing in many different ways, but including intellectually. And and I f- I feel like some of my uh, intellectual development since then has just been kind of trying to understand Christian history and the history of the church, uh, and the ways that Christians have interacted with politics and culture and and those those sorts of things. Uh, I, I was kind of a, a political junkie, you know, even before I became a believer, and then trying to think about those, those sorts of issues, uh, as a believer is, is that's kind of the, the, uh, a, a theme throughout all of my work, I think. And, and, um, so I, I started reading about, uh, the Puritans in particular, um, in my master's program at, at Clemson. And I was just fascinated and, uh, smitten. I mean, that tells you about my personality that I was smitten by the Puritans. <laughs> and, and so, uh, and, and so I wanted to know a lot about religion and colonial America. Um, and so most of what I've done has been, uh, I've, I've sort of switched back and forth between, uh, the history of the great awakening, uh, and then, uh, the history of the American revolution and, and have also done some of those, uh, kind of broader theme books like Baptist America or who is an evangelical. Um, so uh, some of that is because I, I trained with George Marsden at the University of Notre Dame, who uh, is, is one of the best known kind of Christian scholars of, of his generation. Um, and he'd, he's done a lot of work on American religious history in general. Um, and so uh, having trained with him, I, I f- feel like I have some capability of going all the way through to kind of present day issues, but, but I really kind of live in the 1700s mostly. In your, uh, you know, research in American history and, you know, you've written a full narrative on it, which I want to talk about more here in a second, but as you're, as you were looking at founding fathers and, and their individual faith, what, uh, what surprised you the most? What do we what do we still hear an echo of today from um, uh, from things that we debate and reference from that time? Just curious. I mean, I think of you've written on Benjamin Franklin, but Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, and so on. Uh, what, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that I mean, this is probably the most uh, controversial American history issue in American politics. Uh, slavery too, but but and slavery is related. But but uh, you know the, the role of faith in the American founding is just so volatile, including among conservative Christians, of course. And and uh, I, I mean I think that there's a temptation to try to make the founding fathers uh, first of all into these kind of saints of American civil religion, 
um, and and to try to wedge them into categories that are like today. But that but the problem with that is that's fundamentally ahistorical thinking. And so you take somebody like Franklin or you take somebody like Jefferson and my current book project is on on Jefferson. So I've been thinking about him a lot lately. Um, You you know, Franklin, especially Franklin, he knows the text of the Bible backwards and forwards. Right. I mean, he, he I mean, I'm an evangelical believer. I have a quiet time every morning. I just had one this morning. And. Ben Franklin knows the Bible better than I do, right? And so, so uh, and yet he says in his autobiography that he's a deist. So, <laughs> you're like, yeah. what's going on with this guy? I mean, you think of deists as just like, well, we don't care about the role of God, and you know, and and I, I'm not saying that Ben Franklin was a traditional Christian because he wasn't. Now, he grew up in a traditional Christian environment, so that's part of the answer, is that his parents were Puritans, and he grew up in Boston uh, in, a, in a Puritan home. And so, you know, he, he has a flood of biblical knowledge, right? But, but he becomes skeptical about some parts of traditional Christianity and the authority of the Bible. Um, but th- that, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a biblical worldview about many things, uh, and and so you take people like uh, Jefferson or Franklin, you know, and and you know Franklin calls himself a deist, so that's how we, you know, know that Franklin was, was a deist. You know, Jefferson is kind of roughly a deist. Probably Unitarian is is a little more accurate about about Jefferson, um, but they they still believe that the you know that the Bible is the most reliable source about ethics. Uh, and and telling us what right and wrong is, and they also believe in in kind of a a, a biblical view of creation. Uh, maybe not Adam and Eve. I mean, Jefferson doesn't seem to believe in kind of the Adam and Eve. But if, if if the idea is all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, I mean, I mean, all Jefferson is saying is like God created us somehow, and and like the created order reflects God's design. Jefferson totally believes that. And, and, and I mean, this is a pre-Darwinian world. I mean, there's like, there's what's, what's the other option? Um, and, and, and so the, the thing is, is that you've got to hang in there with people like that to just let them be who they are without trying to wedge them into some kind of political category of today. And I, and I think, and this is not just Christians. I mean, the secular left does, does this too of trying to, you know, you know, like Jefferson, I mean, you have people who say Jefferson's an atheist. People have said that about Franklin. That's ridiculous. I mean, didn't one of them cut up his Bible? Wasn't he known for that and saying, Oh, I only believe the, which one was that? That's Jefferson. That's Jefferson. So right. I believe these parts and not these parts. Right. And so, so Jefferson is, uh, he, he's, he's obsessed with the Bible, right? I mean, he, 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 but but he's 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 a skeptic, right? And so unlike a lot of our sort of cultural skeptics that you would get today, Jefferson is actually a real biblical expert. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he's not a professor or something about it, but he, he like as an adult, he reads the Greek New Testament, <laughs> and he reads the Septuagint in Greek, like as an adult, just for fun, wow. like while he's president. 
right? I mean, he 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 just does this for edification, and so uh, he actually produces two versions of uh, the what we call the Jefferson Bible. One while he's president, uh, he does this late at night at the, at the White House, right? <laughs> it, it, you know, what, uh, with his free time, and as you said, Scarlett, he's he's cutting out. Uh, what, he, what he's actually doing is he's cutting out mostly Jesus's moral teachings and parables um, because he, he thinks that Jesus actually taught those things, where he, he thinks that Jesus's followers imposed a lot of the content of the Gospels, and he has no use for the epistles. Uh, and, and so so what he's doing is he's saying that the, these are, he, he says it's like diamonds in a dunghill. That's what he actually said. Like the rest of the Bible is a dung hell. <laughs> okay. This, this is no good. I mean, you know, the Christians who try to say, oh, Jefferson's a Christian and stuff. So uh, this is no good, right? Uh, but, but so he, and he pastes in, in Greek, Latin, French, and English, he pastes in the parts of the gospels that he thinks are true. Hmm. And, and, and the last verse is they, they rolled a stone in front of the sepulcher and went away. But there's no resurrection. Wow. So it's completely unsatisfactory from a traditional Christian perspective what he's doing. But he knows the Bible well enough to create this edition of the Gospels in Greek and Latin and French and English because he's obsessed. Right. So, I mean, I, I, he's not like anybody today. Except maybe a few mm. Bible professors in, you know, in liberal contexts or or something, but <laughs> but you know, uh, trying to wedge him into a cat. So that that's I, I think what I recommend to people is we we've got to and we do this with all good history. We just let people be the way that they actually were, and sometimes that introduces us to people who are unlike anybody that we know today, and that's uh, that's actually really valuable. Uh, because it, it teaches us like that there's different ways of thinking, there's different ways of kind of political alignments and, and so forth that may, it, it can help us to see that a lot of the things that we assume has to be the way that it is, it's not that, it wasn't that way in the past. I, I do think that that point is really important, though. The the don't try to read in our modern context into, into history. And, um, we even do that with modern, like we do that with every, everybody and everything these days, it seems like. Um, I mean, I, I notice it even with pop culture where we try to make celebrities who say something remotely um, friendly <laughs> toward Christianity um, yeah. to be, you know, these paragons of Christian virtue. And it's like, they might actually just be like, vaguely religious and not know what they believe yet mm-hmm. so let's yeah. let's maybe take a couple steps back instead of making them the the great our our great hope <laughs> yes yeah that's right yeah no I, that's a really good lesson because i think um <laughs> i had a friend i'm not gonna call him out on this but who uh referred to winston churchill as garbage were you so were you personally offended dave <laughs> i was per- dave well i her. was because i think everything needs context in the sense of oh absolutely and he's re- he's referring to um you know the more or less induced famine in india uh mm. in the middle of world war ii um, 
And so I'm not making excuses for Churchill, but we could go all day long in terms of looking at all these characters in history. And it kind of comes down to the known and the unknown at that time and what shaped their worldview then for better or worse. Hmm. I think again, like we have the benefit of, uh, of time and analysis um, to be able to, look at every great leader throughout history and even any average person out there to say what mistakes they made and how their worldview was poor compared to how we could look at something today. Um, when in reality is people are going to be doing the same thing to us, <laughs> you know, years, yeah. in, years in the future. Uh, so it's just being careful not to look at it too much. And so uh, I'm just giving them grief, you know, cause I love them, but, uh, but I said, you know, I said, yeah, I mean, we could, we could, we could find fault with everyone. And, um, um, if we, if we really dig deep enough, um, I, I wanted to pivot for a second. Cause I really, um, uh, I, again, going back to the article I referenced with TGC and history about how to kind of find the right history book for you. Um, you know, Tommy, wh- one thing it's, it's fun because, you know, my kids, especially my older daughter who's 12 is, is been in the middle of American history and she was supposed to be in her Washington DC trip this past week. Oh. Of course not happening. So they did like a virtual trip and it has been so much fun this week because we're doing all these creative ways to learn history. And I can tell right now she and I are very different from each other in terms of how we look at history. I'm one of those to where I can look at facts and figures all day I can devour all these different books and research on my own and this and that. Um, she just struggles with that. Um, and I think she, and she just, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's tough conceptually to kind of look at anything in history and just say, okay, this is, this really sticks with her. But when you start putting it in a story form, see where I'm going with this, mm-hmm. um, it comes alive and, and something that's more tangible to her and, um, it's ultimately more fun and it sticks, um, which I love. And this kind of goes with, you know, you wrote a very different American history series that is narrative driven, not like a typical textbook. So tell us about that and kind of like why, what your view is on how to teach American history to your average person out there. Yeah, well, I, I definitely deal with this as a, as a teacher, uh, at Baylor, um, in my American history, I mean, it, I, I teach the, you know, America 1877 survey at, at, at Baylor, uh, and mostly to non-majors. And so I, I'm sort of constantly aware that, well, you know, this is part of a good liberal arts education, but this is, that this is not something that uh, these students are going to devote their uh, their lives too. And so, so I, I know full well that it is the stories that, you know, for whatever reason that that engages us intellectually, psychologically, that, 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 that's what we gravitate toward. And that's why in general, you know, biographies are more popular than just regular history books. Um, because you, you want to know about people's life stories and their, you know, how they overcame adversity and those, those sorts of things. Um, I, and, and I think, you know, part of the point I was trying to make in that in that post is that um, I'm all for obviously people reading uh, history, um, and it and it does have to be presented in a, in in the right way. Now, I mean, there there are, I have written, uh, especially my my first book, which was my dissertation, you know, published. Uh, that's not a book that your average reader is going to be interested in reading. I mean, it's and 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 there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that there, there's. 
we weren't looking to sell thousands of copies of it. It's an academic contribution. And it may be something that uh, other scholars can use as sort of one of the building blocks of a more accessible narrative and, and so forth. But, but you know, I mean, that the, we need monographs like that is what, what you would call that. But uh, we, we also don't want uh, books that are... Um, Unfortunately, you know, there, there's there's lots of books out there, including books marketed to Christians, uh, that are unreliable, are polemical, are you know seriously slanted, maybe are kind of p- playing fast and loose with evidence. And so, what what you want that is the sweet spot, right? For for the general reader, I mean, I have to read a lot of monographs as part of my you know work, but but when it's not in my field, I'm looking for something that is reliable, but is also really uh, engaging. Um, and, and so that, it, it's that kind of sweet spot that, that we're looking for. And usually when you talk about uh, making choices about history and, and nonfiction, it takes a little more probing than just what gets marketed to you to find uh, the, the, the sweet spot in between, you know, the, the irresponsible polemical stuff and then the you know the academic monograph that's unreadable. Are are there particular books or authors that that you would recommend to someone who says I just want to get start reading history books? Where do I begin? I, I'd just say from American history, are there even as popular writers like David McCullough and so on? Are the ones that you would recommend to our listeners? I I, I really do like Ron Chernow's stuff. I mean, in in the what has happened with the Hamilton book is, is just kind of unprecedented. And, and the nice thing about somebody like Chernow is that um, when you look at the footnotes in, in his books um, and Hamilton is the, is the best known one because of the musical uh, is that Chernow is a sort of person who has read the scholars Right, and, and that's I, I think a really good sign is that if you if you look in the footnotes and there are academic sources being cited and and obviously primary sources, you know that's that's a given that something like a Hamilton biography needs to actually be looking at Hamilton's papers and so forth. Uh, that you know that that's a good sign. Um, I, I think that there are definitely. Uh, if what we're talking about, I'm not here talking about like biblical studies or I mean, that's that's not my primary field. So I tend to operate in the world of uh, you know secular academic presses or or trade presses. That's been most of my publishing. Uh, the the B and H book is, was was the first time I've ever published anything with the Christian press before. Um, and so uh, there are presses like uh, Yale Press, which has been the press that I've worked with the most. Uh, uh, basic books, which I've published with some, they, these are presses that tend to specialize in in publishing, uh, in, you know, academic authors or people people who have a doctorate in the field that they're operating in, but that they're wanting to write for a general audience. Um, and I, I think that that's great. You know, when you pick up a book and you you look at the back and you say, this person has a PhD in the relevant field. You know, it's not an honorary doctorate, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'd be happy to get honorary doctorates, but but I mean, I'm talking about a studied expertise in in the field that they're writing in. It's not because they're a celebrity who is looking for an alternative revenue stream, right? That it's it's somebody who really has long time cultivated studied expertise in that field, 
Uh, and 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 now the now they're writing for press like say Yale or Basic for a general audience. That that's I think a lot of times that that's that's a really good sign. Now the the nice thing about history is that you really can have people who write super reliable and engaging uh, history where they don't have a PhD in the field. And I, I think that that's one of the wonderful things about history is that you do have people like Chernow. Uh, who doesn't have a PhD in history and are just, you know, kind of out of a more writing journalist type of background. But it's not like philosophy or something where, you know, this stuff is so technical that that you really do have to have a PhD to be an, an expert in in a, a lot of philosophy, at least. But, but, I mean, there are plenty of history PhDs who are writing really good stuff. It's just that a lot of times it's not stuff that ends up on the front table at Barnes and Noble whenever we go back to Barnes and Noble, or <laughs> the stuff that the, it's the stuff that's being heavily marketed on on Amazon. Yeah. A lot of times, unfortunately, it's just not the most reliable or edifying stuff. Yeah, Dave, I think this means you should write a Churchill biography. <laughs> um, I, I I have. I, I, I have nothing to back this up, but uh, besides the internet and all things social media, but I, I see this every now and then people saying that there's been more written on Churchill than about any other piece of person other than Jesus, uh, which wouldn't surprise me much. And Dave has uh, read them all. I have not, no. I, uh, no, but, it, it, but I, I kind of like, every few years there's a new Churchill biography and you're like, what more can we learn for crying out loud? Um, do, do you, uh, you know, Tommy, do you, when you see kind of new biographies coming up, people, what, what do you look for in those when those come out? It, it's a real problem. And of course, in my feel with the founding fathers, you have the same phenomenon where, um, you know, without naming names, I mean, unfortunately there are people who just write totally derivative uh, you know, just stuff that that's just repeating and sometimes repeating myths that we are we know experts know are not true. Um, and and you, you know, you you have certain people who I mean, they'll publish books like every six months just because they know if it's on a founding father that it will sell a certain number of copies. Um, it's 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 really sad. And and we, I mean, that's the kind of stuff. Not even just setting aside the polemical stuff. Uh, we, we just don't we don't want to. Do that, and so um, you know. I, I think a lot of times, uh, what what is new in the really good books is that you'll have uh, uh, new developments in scholarship in the field, and so so uh, you know, th- there's uh, you know new books on on Jefferson coming out all the times, but but the best ones are integrating the ones that are for a general audience that are really good are integrating new lessons, you know, again, out of those kind of monographs or, I mean, hey, you know, Jefferson, I mean, there's like 35,000 letters in Jefferson's paper. Like there's new stuff to talk about. I mean, uh, so one of the things I'm trying to do with the book I'm writing um, is explore Jefferson's uh, biblicism, his, his commitment to the Bible. Now we know, we've known about the Jefferson Bible and stuff, but I mean, there's biblical references all over Jefferson's papers that no one has ever talked about. So, I mean, it, it, it's actually not necessarily impossible to come up with new information, including about a Churchill or a Lincoln or Jefferson, if they're a well-documented uh, person. But, uh, um, you know, uh, I mean, there's, there, there, there are a lot of those new books 
uh, that come out about famous people that frankly are not worth your time. Uh, maybe they're not terrible, but there's just better choices. So we, we really do have to be discriminating uh, consumers about these issues. Well, uh, I'll transition here, if that's okay, because I think this is a, a good opportunity to have a little quiz. Uh, not, a qu- not a quiz for you, Tommy, but, uh, you know, we have, uh, uh, I'm just going to call him a wannabe, a wannabe American. He's so excited about being an American. Just remember, I'm not um, eligible yet to pursue I, I, citizenship. I know, but we, we have to get you ready for mm, this. Even that's true. If it's We've got four years. Five, ten, four years? Okay, four, four years. years. It's never too, uh, never too early. So, uh, <laughs> yes. So, Tommy, as, as you may have picked up by hearing our northern friend uh, from the friendly confines of Canada, Aaron Armstrong. Uh, Aaron, uh, Scarlett and I have just a little quiz for you, and we're going to let Tommy just confirm or tell you if you're wrong on any of these. Because I look these forward are... to being told I'm wrong on every yeah, question. <laughs> exactly. Now, th- what, what Scarlett and I have pulled up is essentially the test you have to take when oh, uh, good. you when you go through the citizenship process. So we're just going to kind of scan through some of these just to kind of see how you would do. So, Tommy, are you okay with this? Just to, And it's okay. You can tell him that he's got some work to do. Maybe recommend him to read a 1,000-page book on the topic. Um, <laughs> I hope so, I know the answers to these oh, questions. Yeah, I know. I, when, when I started looking through these, <laughs> Someone I Someone better know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, we'll start with, uh, you know, something fairly simple. All right, uh, Aaron, do you, can you name the first president of the United States? I can. You can? George Washington. Okay, great. All right, so that's just a little, little warm-up there. I like that. Okay. Can, um, do you know who wrote the Declaration of Independence? Oh, a little bit of a trick question, but it's well. Uh, there were multiple people involved in it. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> Some yeah. of them we talked about on this show today. Okay, all right. And so, who were those people uh, I know that Ben be? Franklin was involved, and mm-hmm. I know Jefferson was involved as well. Yeah. Um, was John was John Adams involved as well, or was it John Hancock? I know he, John Hancock was one of the signers of. Wow, but. you're doing pretty well here. Thank you. Tommy, Tommy what do you think? How, how has he done? That's here? a great answer. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're right. John Hancock, did sign, he was the, you always see his name as the largest, right? Um, and Tommy, is there any particular history in terms of he was the first one to sign or just the largest signature in it? Largest signature, and uh, and yeah, no, I mean Jefferson's the primary draftsman, but uh, you know maybe the the best answer is the Continental Congress mm-hmm. wrote the Declaration of Independence because they put it out and made all kinds of adjustments that made Jefferson unhappy, and <laughs> so, as one but, does. But the, that was the committee. Um, the main players on the committee was Adams, Franklin, and Jefferson. Scarlett, do you want to go with one? I'm just scanning sure. through. Yes. Okay. So while we're talking about the Declaration of Independence, Aaron, um, what did it do? Um, it was the declaration stating that the that the former British colonies were going to be their own independent country. They were saying, we're all done with Britain now. Bye-bye. Aaron, are you so nervous right now? Because if I had a microphone and was given a history test... 
with a doctor, <laughs> with Dr. Kid. I would be so nervous right now. You're doing great. Uh, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm just glad I'm asking the questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's much more technical answers that uh, that I can that I can uh, give, but uh, I'm I think no, that, I'm that was perfect. Fantastic. I mean, I could have gone with the Canadian answer and it was um, they were declaring treason and um, being traitors. But, um, you know, but I live in America now and I want to stay in America. And so I've got to I've got to spin it. (laughs) We'll see what happens when we get to the War of 1812, though. So I'm so excited to hear your revisionist history of the War of 1812. I can't wait for that. Real quick, uh, uh, Tommy, Aaron gave me a gift. I, I really, I don't think it's really a gift. I think it's really a oh, slap a in gift. the face. It's a slap in the face. He gives me I hit you book. with it. He gives me a book on the War of 1812, told from the Canadian perspective, and uh, <laughs> it is. I, I started scanning through it, just laughing. I'm like, wait a minute, this didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of made me question everything. <laughs> That's because it all happened, and you've just never heard about it. Oh, well, there's a reason why Americans don't talk much about the War of 1812. Isn't that right, Aaron? That's right. That's right. <laughs> we'll burn that White House down. <laughs> That's right. That was not very nice. That was not very Canadian of you. I thought you were really nice people. We were still the British at that time. Okay. All right. Okay. So you blame it. Uh, yeah. Blame it. on being British. Okay. That's right. That's right. All right. Aaron, there are, there are three b- branches of our government. Can you name the branches? Ooh. Um, there is <clears throat> Congress, there is the Senate, and then there is the president, but Ooh. I don't know their proper titles. I know what okay. they do. <laughs> and they okay. check, can't kind of check each other and keep everyone mm-hmm. from, you know, okay. going too crazy. Okay. Dr. Kidd, can you set him straight? I got, I got a so so on that. You got, yeah. Yeah, that was a little wobbly. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Um, so, <laughs> so, so you missed the judiciary. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You got a couple of parts of the legislative branch confused, okay. and it, but then you got the executive. So, all right. All right. Mm-hmm. Aaron, um, we elect a U.S. senator for how many years? Oh, um, well, I know they have no term limit, but hmm, is it four years, five years, two years? Oh, Dr. Kidd, seventy-five years, question? six years, six years. Okay, yep. got it. Okay, see, now, what, what, I, because I'm not eligible to vote, I don't think about that. So. <laughs> well, what about the president? Right. Yeah. President, that one I do know. That one is four okay. years, and they have yeah. and they have a limit of two terms. Okay. And that was a fairly recent invention in the American political process as well. Wow! Well done, well done. What What about a uh, U.S. representative in in Congress? So a, a congressman or a congresswoman? How 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 long are their terms? Oh goodness! Why are you? Why are you doing this to me? Two years. Two years. It's so (laughs) funny. You're getting getting video help from the doctor. Yes. He wants me to stay. He wants me to stay too. (laughs) Or at least not fail my test. I'm at a C right now. (laughs) Listeners who can't see what's happening, we are on a Zoom video, and the doctor is is doing sign language to help Aaron out. That's right. 
That's right. Uh, <laughs> too, too, too funny. All right. How many more do we got? Um, <laughs> sing the national anthem. Just kidding. That's not No. <laughs> you can't do that either. <laughs> I could, but I won't. <laughs> I mean, I could go with the Canadian one, but I mean, it'll be terrible. The, the funny th- funniest thing is like, you know, we should probably do a Canadian history version of this on Scarlet and I, but conveniently Scarlet and I will be sick that day and will not make it to the <laughs> yeah. podcast. So. I think my mouth allergy, I'll need to go check yeah. it on that again. That yeah. day. Mm, convenient. Sorry. I know. Convenient. Thank you. Oh, it's okay. Well. Nothing really ever happens. So it's fine. Aaron, uh, Dr. Kidd, how do you think Aaron has done? Do you think he's, he's on his, on a good path? Well, it depends on what the standard of comparison is, but I, I think compared to probably like the average American on the street, that was a B plus. Yes. I'll take right. it. I'll okay. take it. Okay. Would I pass a high school history class uh, without studying? Probably so. Okay. I'll take <laughs> it. I'll take it. Well done. Well done indeed. Uh, Would I fail uh, your class miserably? Uh, I see a lot in my classes. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can only imagine. Uh, no comment. Uh, <laughs> well, Aaron, we'll let you stay in the country just a little bit longer. You know, I appreciate um, that. Thank you. In four years from now, we will certainly have to revisit this. So, Doctor Kidd, thank you for assisting in this. You're welcome. So, yeah, not not bad. Oh well. Yeah. Well, a last few questions, uh, Tommy. Just before we go, um, what what do you read for pleasure, and and what do you you reading right now? Um, I, uh, of course, I, I read all day, so I, I don't necessarily hold myself to the highest standards of reading at night. Uh, but uh, I, I normally switch back and forth. I, I read a lot of nonfiction, um, some, some fiction um, that will be like current events or just stuff that's like completely out of my uh, field. Um, and I also listen to a lot of audible audible books, although not as much right now because my commute is gone. Um, and, and so, um, but there too, I listen to a lot of just kind of current events, nonfiction type stuff. So uh, I am currently reading uh, a book. I think it's called uh, Say Nothing. Um, and it's about uh, the IRA and the troubles in Northern Ireland. Um, I, I just finished it uh, a couple weeks ago too. It's fabulous. Yeah, it it is riveting, uh, yes. and and so I'm that that kind of thing is 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 just a, going back to my comments before. I don't know this author at all, but mm. I, I mean, I on every page I'm thinking, how does he know this? <laughs> this is yeah. just incredible details and and riveting story, uh, and and just in a literary sense, put together so well. Um, it's not my field. I'm not an expert on the problems in Northern Ireland in the sixties and seventies, but, uh, it, it is, it's, I'm blown away. So really enjoying it and reading it fast. Uh, so that, that's, that's just the sort of book I like reading in the evening. Yeah. That, and that's one of those where you get a really good history of the troubles, most specifically the sixties up to, uh, uh, to the nineties, which is when most people think of it, it's within that cycle. But the story focuses on the d- a disappearance of a person. And so it gets it on a real personal level of an average person um, in, uh, in Belfast. At the it's time, that right? story dynamic, yeah. right? And, and, it, yes. and that, that's just such a great approach, I think, in history writing where you have mm-hmm. these personal stories, but then that they illuminate the larger story of the troubles in, in Northern Ireland. That, that's a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. 
We agree. Absolutely. Let's go. That was my, you know, we always, we always kind of ask our, each other what we're reading right now. That was mine. I finished a week ago or so. And, uh, which is, uh, I would recommend to anyone for the sake of it is riveting. You don't have to be a history lover to appreciate it, but if you've, if you've lived through and can remember some of the eighties, you'll know that it there was a lot of tension still in Northern Ireland then. And then, You'll probably more remember the peace accords in the late nineties. The um, it's, it's fascinating. So, well, um, Scarlett and Aaron, what are you guys reading? Scarlett, how about you? I'm actually reading an upcoming book from our good friend Barnabas Piper. Um, Hoping for happiness. I just started nice. that. Yeah. Right. Look at you getting an early edition of that. Oh, you know. Aaron, he yeah. has diso- he has disowned us. It's true. He's he's just throwing us so much shade right now, and I don't appreciate it. We'll text him later wow. and be like, "What the heck?" <laughs> the worst. It's wonderful so worst. far. I just started, but you know, okay. I'm a Barnabas fan, so it's great. Yeah. And that releases in October, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember. I don't. Yeah, I think so. Is okay. he hoping that you're you're going to write kind things about his book to go yes. in it? Yes, he is. And yes, mm. I definitely will. Nice. I mean, See, that's why he's not giving it to us. Is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Aaron, what about you? Well, um, I am in the midst of a couple of things. The first is I am continuing to go through the Walt Longmire series. And so I'm reading Kindness Goes Unpunished by Craig Johnson. Uh, I finished uh, Death Without Company last week, and it was delightful. Um, it was a super fun murder mystery kind of thing, slash Western. Um, and then um, Emily picked up this little ditty at, uh, at a thrift store uh, a couple weeks ago, Doc Savage, Man of Bronze. And so this is a pulp novel <laughs> from 1933. This is a 1970s reprint edition, but um, but it's pretty cool. And then um, if I get around to it in the near future, it is in the queue. I just don't know when it's gonna when it's gonna when I'm gonna start on it. Is our first edition of um, the Spy Who Came In from the Cold? I, love, I was yeah. Yeah, very jealous when I saw you picked up that copy. That's 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 a special one, right? It was like 1962 or something. 63, 63? I think. Okay. Yeah, wow. it doesn't have the it doesn't have the dust jacket, but that's okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a nice little find that that uh, that Emily got as well. So, um, side note, you guys remember our uh, YA bag of wonders? Yes. Oh yes. Well, um, so Abigail decided to start plowing through some of the books that that we didn't think were terrible. And um, uh, so she read the James Patterson allegedly written by one, and she loved it. She thought it was great, and she wanted to read it again. She also oh, wow. read The Freedom Maze by Delia Sherman, and, and that James Patterson won all in the same day. So, wow. um, yeah. <laughs> and was like, this book is amazing. So, um, she's working, I think she's still working on the darkest minds. Um, so I'm a very permissive parent when it comes to reading. (laughs) She's like, like there's a little bit of swearing in it, but it's kind of like what's in the, you know, what's in the Avengers movies. So it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, all right. (laughs) I love it. it. Yeah. Well, uh, Tommy, thank you for joining us. Really. This has been fun. Uh, we, we love what you're doing and, uh, we're excited to see. So when, when will, uh, Thomas Jefferson be out? Uh, 
I'm just about done with the draft of the manuscript. Um, and so it, it'll probably be, it may be fall 2021. Okay. Well, tell me, where else can people find you online too? Well, I'm very active on Twitter uh, at Thomas S. Kidd uh, there. And I'm on uh, Facebook. You just search on Thomas Kidd. Uh, and as you said before, I blog at the Gospel Coalition at the Evangelical History blog. Well, thanks again for being with us. This has been great. This has been yeah, fun. this is a lot of fun. I know we all have to go, but we really wanted to ask you if you like the West Wing, Dr. Kidd. <laughs> you, know, you know, I, I've got it on my binging list uh, for, for the, but no, I, I, strange, I've never watched the West Wing. Do you want to like the West Wing? It. Never watched it. Aaron hasn't watched. watched either. Me and Dave love it. I've, yeah, I've watched it oh. three times, maybe four. I had to think about that. <laughs> the whole seven season series. Wow. It's, it's, okay. it's I've watched many shows multiple times, but I've not gotten not gone mm. to the west wing even once oh man it's it's great, great the, show. i mean at least watch the first okay. three seasons when aaron sorkin's the main writer and it's so good yeah highly recommend yeah we Sorry. we just finished we uh we <laughs> no it's good it, it, we're always looking for them we we went through friday night lights uh, and uh, and our, my wife and I are working through house yes. now. Yes. Uh, but but I, maybe I'll good. maybe I'll put what yeah I'll, I'll put West Wing on the list for our next uh, binging show. Nice. Yeah. Love it. I Do love it. it. That's Perfect. great. Okay. All Carry right. on with the with the closing. Sorry. All right. <laughs> well, guys, on that note. It's time uh, because we all have things to do and, you know, we have to be respectful of our guests' time as well. So uh, thanks for hanging out today. Um, uh, Tommy, thanks for joining us. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. And thanks for giving me a decent grade on the test. Um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send you your, um, you know, what I owe you via PayPal later. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, guys. So, listeners, you know what to do. Leave us your sincere or insincere five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to the show. As long as it's five stars, we do not care. Um, and we will talk to you later. Bye. This is an area code podcast.